0: If you would, before we get started, let's, uh, let's start with just a word of prayer. And uh, if you would, just pray, pray with me this morning. Don't just hear, don't just hear me pray. I want you to pray with me for the sake of yourselves, your hearts, and the people around you. Uh, that we would hear the Holy Spirit speak to you, to us, as a body. As a congregation today, uh, in regards to what God's calling is for us in this life, what is God's calling for us as a body, both made up of individuals and as a one local church? What is that calling? So pray with me and ask God to show that to you and to me and to us today. Father, it is a great and awesome privilege to come before you in prayer, to come before you as a body, to hear your word, to sit, Lord, under the singing of your word, to be able to sing praises to you and join the heavenly chorus that is currently happening right now to be able to join in on that together, to be able to stand here and preach. It is a privilege, one that is not, I hope, God wasted on anyone in here today. We pray, God, that you would fill the room with truth and with grace and that the words that are spoken today would be of your spirit and that would fall heavy and weighty on the hearts of those whom you have given ears to hear. Give us ears to hear this morning. Self-included. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, if you would open your Bibles to the ninth chapter of Luke, uh, again, we're going to be continuing through the book of Luke. Uh, so it's been about a year and a half. No, not, not quite a year yet, actually. Wow. And we've gone through nine chapters, so we're moving along pretty well. We're going through this pretty well, but um, we're going to be starting in verse 23, and we're going to be going through verse 27 this morning. We're going to be covering, uh, we're going to be reading through these five verses, but we're going to be really just kind of sitting or encamping in just one of the verses today. So I want to go ahead and read the text. I want to go ahead and read it and let it kind of just sit with you as we talk about it for just a second. Starting in verse 23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life... For my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully. There are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is our passage from God to us for the next two weeks. And this passage is, again, one of the passages that you might be pretty familiar with. Maybe you've heard it a lot growing up. If you've been in the church for any any kind of period of time, you've probably heard this passage a lot. And maybe your heart's just kind of grown numb to it. You've kind of gotten used to it. Maybe you memorize it as a kid. Or maybe this is the first time. You're, you're really kind of going through the, one of the Gospels for the first time. And you're hearing words from Jesus that are like this. And it kind of is the first time you're hearing such radical, like, you know, uh, punch to the gut, like, type words from Jesus. Like, I didn't know Jesus actually said things like this. This is hard to hear, Jesus. I don't understand what it is you're actually asking me to do. And that's exactly what these words are. They are radical. They are absolutely 100% radical in regards to the way the world sees life. But in regards to Christianity, it's normal. In regards to Christianity, these words are normal or the standard. And what I mean is that what Jesus is saying in these few verses is a summons. It is a summons for anyone who would desire to follow Jesus. Anyone who would desire to call themselves a Christian or a disciple. And I believe that is probably everyone in here today. That this is not a way of following him. This is not one way of following Jesus. This is not a higher level or extreme version of Christianity, but rather this is Christianity. By definition, this is Christianity. In fact, I believe this passage summarizes pretty much all of the New Testament. I think it summarizes all the New Testament as we see this verse is lived out first by Jesus himself, and then by Paul, and then by men like Epaphroditus and Timothy and Jude and John Mark and millions of people. Millions of people since the birth of the church who have lived missional and sacrificial lives in light of this glorious and amazing gospel. In light of their salvation and in light of the work of Christ on their behalf and yours. This verse tells us what it actually means. What it actually means to follow Christ. Or in other words, be a disciple. Now, if you've been a a Christian for any length of time and walked in any Christian circles, you've probably heard of this phrase called life verse. Right? What's your life verse? Ever heard that? Right? Right? people usually mean, what they usually mean by this is that what is that one verse that you kind of cling to or sums up your worldview or sums up what you think Christianity is or what you think sums up the Bible? What is your, what is your life verse? And in all my talks with some Christians over the years, I have never heard anyone mention Luke 9:23. Die to self, pick up your cross. That's a life verse, Right? Now, they are usually verses like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a typical life verse. Or, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a life verse. Or, God works all things together for good for me. Usually taken out of context, most of these. And they're all great verses. Don't get me wrong, they are the word of God. They're a great truth, and they are rock-solid promises. But none of these promises are for you unless you get this text right here. None of them. This is foundational. This verse and others like it, apart from the gospel itself, are probably one of the most important passages in Scripture. Why? Because the willingness, the willingness in your heart to obey this call or this summons from Christ himself, Is the evidence of a heart that has truly believed. It is the evidence of a heart that has truly believed. This text right here that we're going to be reading today is the ultimate definition of faith. It is the ultimate definition of faith, of what it means to believe, what it means to trust, what it means to treasure. All of those definitions find their definition in this verse here. The mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is not the belief or the mental assent to some kind of mantra, like Jesus died for my sins. It's not the belief in a mantra or a saying or a phrase. No, the mark of a believer of Jesus Christ the mark of a believer of Jesus Christ, the mark of someone who has truly let go and put 100% of their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ is that they desire to follow, serve, submit to, and be like Jesus. They desire to follow, serve, submit to, and be like Jesus. Look at verse 23 again with me. This is where we will be spending our time today, verse 23. What we're going to be understanding from this text, Lord willing, is that what is Jesus' call? What is his call of discipleship, which is the title of today's text, or the title of today's message, is the call of discipleship. And the main point of today's message is that the call of discipleship is costly. It might cost you everything, but Jesus is worth it. The call of discipleship is costly, but Jesus is worth it. Verse twenty three. If anyone is saying, and He was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. Now, this word wishes, it carries with it the idea of desires. Once again, Jesus isn't going to let us get away with just mental exercises here. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about affections. He's saying, if anyone desires to come after me, do you wish to come after me? Do you long to come after Christ? And if so, which one? Which one? To which many listening to this would have said, well, of course. Of course we desire to come after you, Jesus. You have the power to heal. You have the power to perform miracles, put waves at peace, exercise demons, raise the dead. We, We are unstoppable as long as we have you, Jesus. We are ready to follow you anywhere you would go and get my kingdom now. I want the kingdom now. No suffering, no pain, no war. Just give me the kingdom. We're ready. I want my good life. I want my good life now. Isn't that what the gospel offers? The good life? Right? Doesn't the gospel offer the easy life? The gospel is about me, right? Right? Jesus loves me, this I know. Hmm. This is the self-help gospel. We've come to know and love in the 21st century. This is the self-help gospel of the 21st century that I believe has made wreckage of the church. It has stifled its true growth. And it has in it created soft, non-sacrificial Christians all throughout the Western Hemisphere. Self-included This message of self-help Christianity is not true Christianity, and if you and I are not careful to listen, to listen to the words of our Savior, our Lord, in this text right here, then we will find ourselves desiring to chase after a false Jesus, and if this is the Jesus you believe has come to save you, you may have a false Jesus completely. No, Jesus is saying, in this text, he's saying, if anyone really desires to come after me, or desires to treasure me as one who has eternal life for you, he is, he's the one who has eternal life for you, you want to follow me, Jesus says, and learn from me, God in the flesh, I'm here to tell you about life, you want to learn from me, then your life must look radically different. Radically different. Just as the life and ministry of Jesus was going to look radically different than what they expected it to be, so also also should ours. He says, Come after me. This word or phrase, come after me, it it means to come behind. It's not the same as coming to him, it means to come behind him or go where he is going, it means to follow. It means Jesus is going somewhere, and he's saying, if anyone wants to come with me and be my disciple, then he's going to have to be a student. And that's exactly what a disciple is. And in these times, a student was not just a person who kind of studied a little uh, class or took a class or, uh, or studied a curriculum. No, these... They understood discipleship as something that was done by following and studying a teacher. You were studying the teacher or the rabbi. It was a mentorship, mentorship relationship, meaning that wherever the teacher went, they went. Right? Whatever the teacher did, whatever the teacher said, the student was right there witnessing it, soaking it up, so that they would in turn be like and live like and understand or see the world like the teacher. The goal was to be like that person, not like myself anymore, but to be like that person. That's what it meant to be a disciple. And Jesus speaks of this earlier in Luke 6, where he says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That was the idea of discipleship, to be like the teacher. And so with that in mind, remember, remember that this text is a continuation from last week. If you remember, Brian gave a very powerful sermon or a very powerful message on what we called the explicit gospel. It was just the gospel message, namely why Jesus actually came, why he actually came, and what he was actually going to do, and what, what did he come to do? What was he teaching his disciples and us? He came to demonstrate power, he came to demonstrate authority. And as we saw from this very text last week, that Jesus said he came to suffer and die and to rise again, and from other passages, parallel passages, to establish his church. He came to die, suffer, die, rise again, and establish his church. And this was, as I mentioned a minute ago, a stark contrast. It was in stark contrast to what they believed Jesus came to do. But as Brian pointed out, it was necessary. He said, I must suffer. It was necessary. Jesus said he must do these things in order to do what? To make atonement. To make atonement for our sin and to satisfy God's wrath for us. To make redemption for us. To purchase us out of the death grip of this world and to rescue us from our sin. Amen? That's why he came. But he also came to establish a people. A people here on earth that are on the same mission now as he was and still is today. Jesus is saying, So you want to come after me? You want to go where I'm going? You want to go behind me? You want to follow me? You want to be like me? You want to be, as we say all the time, conformed into my image? Well, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to lay my life down for what? The sake of the gospel and the glory of God. That's what I'm doing. Who's coming with me? Who's coming? The path to king and the path to glory and to your salvation is through my suffering. And it's not going to be easy. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He said, it is worth it. It is worth it. And so, last week, we saw his mission, why he came. And this week, we see his call. His call for us to be like him. Namely, he wants, he's calling anyone who says, yes. Yes, I'm in. I want to be saved. Right? I want my sins atoned for. I want you, Jesus, to that person Jesus calls to receive this gift. It's a free gift that you receive by faith. Faith, which means to trust and follow and submit to Him as His disciple. That's what it means to have faith. The question becomes are you sure? Are you sure you want to be his disciple? If so, the first thing we are going to see is that he calls his disciples to deny themselves. To deny themselves. Point one, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters In order to go down the road that Jesus goes, okay? In order to truly follow Jesus, you must. The text says you must deny yourself. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? How should we properly understand self-denial? Now, I was studying this word, and I, I came across what seems to me, at least, some pretty tough language. When you study the word deny, it's, it's not soft. It's hard. It is kind of gut-punching. When you think about these words, if you were to apply these words to anyone else or to apply these words from somebody else to you, you would feel pretty bad about yourself. For example, it says to refuse yourself, which means reject. Anybody ever been rejected or felt rejected Jesus says, do that to yourself. Reject your old man. Repudiate, which means to reject the validity of. Like you're not valid. The old man, not valid. Zero worth. Another word is to disown. Disown yourself. Refuse to acknowledge or maintain any connection with. To disregard Pay no attention to, ignore him or her. And to renounce, which means to refuse to follow, refuse to obey or recognize any further, you are not your own master anymore. You belong to another. Here's the point. Self-denial is telling you that it's not about you. Life is not about you. It's not about your way, your life, your works, your ministry, your rights. We love our rights in America, don't we? It's not about you. Look at Matthew 16 with me. It's a parallel text to this one. You can go ahead and turn there if you like, where Jesus is... He's. Going over with Peter again, you know, it's quiz time, and he's asking Peter, Who do you say that I am? And he says, Confesses rightly, you are the Christ. This is a parallel text from last week, to which Jesus says, You are right. On that confession, I will build my church. And to which Peter's probably thinking, All right, here we go. It's kingdom time. He's going to build his church. And then Jesus says, But tell no one, don't tell anyone what you just said about me. He says, because I'm going to Jerusalem first. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. This must happen first. To which Peter, which kind of makes me laugh, he rebukes God. He rebukes God and says, God forbid it. Do you remember Jesus' response? He says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. For you have not set your mind on God's interest, but man's. You have not set yourself on God, your mind on God's interest, but man's interest. Which man's interest is the opposite of self-denial. It is the opposite of self-denial. Jesus is calling us. Listen to this. Jesus is calling us as his disciples to set our mind, first and foremost, our mind and our heart on the things of God, which means to set your mind on the purposes of God and not our mind on our purposes or the things of man. It's not about us. It's about him. This is the essence of self-denial. It is to set our mind on the things of God, the purposes of God, the mission of God, All the the things that God requires us to do requires that we deny the purposes and the things of man. I think when we hear self-denial, I think we tend to think of it as more of like a spiritual diet. Like I'm just going to abstain from from a few things. I'm going to kind of deny my flesh and abstain from a few things so that I can be a little bit more spiritually fit. Right? If I, just, if I just don't do those things, then I'll kind of be, you know, spiritually fit. I don't really know why I don't want to do them. I just know it's not good. And of course, I think the Scripture, the scripture speaks of denying the flesh, of course. It talks about in Galatians 5, the act of denying the flesh. They come at, but they, they all come after A mind. These acts of denying the flesh, they come after a mind that has been changed to think of ourselves and our lives very, very differently. The act of fasting, giving to the poor, living modestly rather than indulging in excessive luxury, loving one another sacrificially. All of the ways that we can give of ourselves, it comes only after someone has first denied themselves. It is a mind shift first. It is a heart change first. They have first, who, anyone who does these things rightly and by faith, they have first set their minds on the things of God. They have first set their mind on the purposes of God and the mission of God. And if they don't, they are just doing empty, vain works. If it's not rooted in the mission and in the gospel, it's just empty, vain works. Which means that Jesus is saying something very important. Jesus is saying that you must disregard your own man-made missions and values. We have them. Disregard them. Disregard them. You must disregard your own main mission and values and purposes. Disregard them as having any validity at all. You must refuse to follow, obey, or recognize any further the life you had before following him. It's over. It's gone. With Jesus, it is all or nothing. With Jesus, it is all or nothing. He says that you are either with Jesus and for his kingdom, or you are against him. I don't want to be against him. All of it must go. Your self-righteousness. Your self-reliance. Your independence. Your old pursuits. Your old dreams. Your old goals. All of your—all the things in this life that you have considered valuable. Whatever you think that you're owed. Whatever you think is due to you. Whatever rights you think you have. Deny it. Deny it. You must let it all go all of it this is not higher level christianity this is the call this is the call and what it does what it does is it produces a servant it produces a servant a slave even but to a good master it produces a servant or a slave to a good master who calls us to consider others as more important than ourselves because he is most important. He calls us to consider others as more important than ourselves. Because to us he is most important. I want to serve him. Self-denial will have an effect on how you treat others. Like your spouse. An example would be that exalting and treasuring Christ Exalting and treasuring Christ will mean more to us than our own personal agendas, which children and family and spouses sometimes get in the way of. Self-denial will set you free from feeling annoyed by agenda interruptions because it's not about you. Denying self means not having to be right all the time. Man, I struggle with that one. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. I am the king of right. I am right. That's a tough one for me. Denying self means that my spouse owes me nothing. You ever feel that way? My spouse owes me? He or she must be a particular level of spouse in order for me to meet that particular level of spouse. Your spouse owes you nothing. They owe Christ everything, but they owe you nothing. In fact, I live, did self-denial means I live only to glorify Jesus, and he has called me to love my wife as he has loved me. That's my only concern. It means that my marriage is not about me, and it's not about you. It's about him. Self-denial will have an effect on how you treat your neighbor. And how you treat your neighbor, meaning you will see your neighbor as an opportunity to be Christ to them. You'll see them as an opportunity to be Christ to them, not as someone that's too close to your house, or infringing on your personal space, right? Or somebody that is too needy, or too distant, or whatever it is about them that kind of bothers you. You'll be set free from that bother, because self-denial will have an effect on how you view your neighbor. They are a mission field. They don't know Christ more than likely. And they need you. God put you there for them. Not the other way around. It's not about you. It's about him. It'll have an effect on how you view your house. and How much effort you put into it it'll affect on how on where how on how you how you live where you live what career to take it will affect everything why because now now because of what Christ has done for you you have come to the conclusion that life is not about you anymore it's all about him it's all about his purposes and you and me we are just cogs in a wheel cogs in a wheel of making his name known that's it it's why we exist. We exist to do this in our families, with our children, with our neighbors, individually, but also together here as a body. We exist to do that. Self denial says, My life is not my own. I give it all to you, Jesus. Every decision I make, every dollar I spend, I'm just, Lord, my life is a blank check. Fill in with it what you wish. I am yours. It is a call to a Philippians 2 mindset. A Philippians 2 mindset that says, that says consider others as more important than yourself. For his name's sake. It says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That self-denial is the ultimate self-denial He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. If the God of all the universe can empty himself, and we want to be like him, then we should desire to do it like that. Empty yourself of yourself and follow him. This is the mind he calls us to. Self-rejection and Christ-reception. Self-rejection for the sake of Christ-reception To receive him, though, as Supreme Lord, to receive him as Supreme Master, and to receive his mission as our very own. So self-denial becomes about the gospel. Self-denial comes from the gospel, from understanding it, and it becomes for the gospel. Is there anything, hear me? Is there anything more valuable and worth living for and therefore worth dying for than the gospel? Is there anything? Can you think of it? Maybe there's some things running through your head right now. I don't know. I kind of think that's a little more valuable. Deny it. Deny it. The whole reason... The whole reason God made the world was so that he could put on display his holiness, his power, his love, his mercy and grace through the very climactic death and resurrection of his son. That's the reason he made the world. Was to put all of his character on display in the death and resurrection of his son. And it was, it was and always has been about his glory. It's always been about him. And about his glory and the gospel. What did Jesus do? He gave everything up for the gospel. For the gospel. He denied himself. And he took up his literal cross. And he gave his life for the gospel. For us. For his elect. And namely and ultimately for the father's glory. So now he calls us. He calls us in this life to do the same. He calls us in this life to do the same. He calls you. He calls you. Each and every one of you who calls themselves Christian. He calls you today through this sermon. From this text. That's why you're here today. And why you're listening on the live cast today. To join him on Calvary Road. To join him. And it's marked. It is marked with pain. It's marked with suffering. Maybe even death. Maybe. Maybe. For the sake of the glorious gospel. His cross was for propitiation, wrath satisfaction. Ours for proclamation. It is costly. It is costly, but again, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Point two. Point two, the call to discipleship, the call to discipleship is the call to die. The call to discipleship is the call to die. Verse 23 continues and he says, if anyone should come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, take up his cross daily. Now the cross was a well-known object in the time of Jesus In the Greco-Roman world, the cross was known really for one thing and one thing only, and it wasn't a pretty chain you put around your neck. It was an execution device. It was about death, and it was the greatest known suffering of their time. So the cross was not a symbol of grace and love for them. It was a symbol of death and suffering. For Jesus to tell them to take up their cross, he was basically saying if he was here today, he wouldn't use cross, maybe he might use uh, electric chair. Take up your electric chair, sit down, strap in, and light up. It's time to die. That's pretty much what he's saying here. You want to come after me? Do you? You leave all your life behind you. You kill it. You kill it. To come after Jesus, to be like Jesus, is to come and die. Now, this is not much different than self-denial. It sounds very similar. It's just going kind to of takes it to the next level. It takes it to the, to the next level. It takes it a step further because we are not only to disown ourselves, but we are to kill ourselves. <laughs> we are not just to disown ourselves or break up with ourselves. We are to break up with them and then kill them because we might reconcile It takes it to another level. Consider not just the goals and dreams that you once had as done, but your entire life. Count it all up and sum it up to zero. Your life is mine, Jesus says now. You belong to me. Turn with me to Luke 14. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Jesus says it again here later. We'll get to chapter 14 soon. But he says this again later. This is not a one and done message. This is a constant message from Christ throughout the scriptures. Verse 25 says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He must hate his own life. He cannot be my disciple. What do you mean, Jesus? (laughs) I have to hate my life? Verse 27 explains it again. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross, that's what it means, to hate your life, and come after me, he says it again. He cannot be my disciple. Man, Jesus said some tough things, didn't he? He said some tough things. I want to to remind us, remember that all that Jesus says, all that he says here, yes, it is hard-hitting, gut-wrenching truth, but it is love. It is the most loving thing that Jesus can say to you and to me. It's hard to hear, but it's so loving. I hope you hear that from him. But here Jesus defines what it looks like to carry your cross. He's defining it. He says that when you come to me, you come to me as your ultimate love. You come to me as your ultimate love. He is saying that your love and devotion for him should be so great that it looks like hatred for everything else. So to come to Christ is to treasure him above all things. To come to him is to be willing, willing to lose your family. Willing to lose girlfriends, boyfriends, children, spouses, friends, neighbors, jobs, and even your own life, should he so call it, all in service to him. And Jesus may not require any of these things of you, or he might. The cross-carrying comes with a willingness to let it all go the willingness to let it all go in pursuit of him and his gospel-centered, Christ-exalting calling on your life. It's a glorious calling. And suffering will most likely come if you decide to follow. If you decide to follow, suffering will most likely come. No servant is above his master. No, if they hated him, they will hate you also. And it may be your own family. It may be your own spouse. It may be your own children. He's worth it. He's worth it. Turn with me again to Matthew 10 now. We're going back to Matthew 10. If you can get there in time, I'm going to move a little bit quicker here. It says in verse 37, it says it again in a different way. It says it again in a different way. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me, the same idea, he who loves father or mother more than me, he says, is not worthy of me. Is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me, that person is not worthy of me. Anyone. He's saying, anyone who is willing to deny Christ, anyone who is willing to deny Christ for the sake of peace with anyone or in order to keep anything, Jesus says, you're not worthy of me. Now, Matt, come on, man, that's tough. Like, what does that mean, worthy? I thought we could never be worthy enough for Jesus. I thought we couldn't earn Jesus. I thought that we couldn't be worthy enough and you are right. You are right. That is absolutely true. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ and his work alone, period. So what does this mean? Paul would say something similar in Philippians 1, where he would say to live in a manner, what? Worthy of the gospel. To live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So what does that mean? Are we supposed to live lives that earn the gospel? No. No. Are we supposed to earn Christ's favor? No. No, to be worthy of the gospel or worthy of Christ is not to earn a place of worth, but to see his worth. To be worthy of the gospel or worthy of Christ is not to earn his uh, favor, but to see his worth. So point three. In order to be able to deny our worth, we must look to the worth of Jesus. In order to deny our worth, we must look to the worth of Jesus, the value of Jesus. We must look to Jesus. It is the only way. We must look to Him. We must see His value, His glory, His grace, His love, His holiness. And say, I would give anything for him. I would give anything for him. Even my own family. Even my career. Even my own life. If I could just have him and his salvation. I would give it all away. My life, no matter what. I would just give anything if I just have him and be forgiven. Have the forgiveness of my creator. Jesus is saying that if you're not willing to lose it all for him, then you do not see His worth. There's something missing. There's something missing in your eyes that you can't see how valuable He is if you're not willing to give it all up for him. He is the treasure in the field. He is the one, he is the one in the treasure in the field that when you find it, you sell all that you have and you go and buy that field. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one from whom and for whom all exists. Is there anything, is there anything worth keeping in exchange for Christ? Anything at all? This was Paul's attitude in Acts 20. Let me, let me just read this for you. Acts 20, he's, he's about to go to Jerusalem. He's saying his farewells, okay? And he's saying this in verse 22 of Acts 20. He says, now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem. That's submission right there, bound by the Spirit. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I, I'm going Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me that in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me, but. Okay, so I'm going to Jerusalem. I know that chains await me. I know that beatings probably await me. But I do not consider my life of any account. My life is summed up to the sum of zero. I don't consider it worthy of anything Or dear to myself, so that what? What's his goal? That I may finish my course. That I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord, which was what? To testify solemnly of the gospel and of the grace of God. To testify to the grace of God. It's worth beatings, it's worth chains to him. Why? Because his life, he accounts as nothing in comparison, in comparison to Christ. Jesus is worth every bit of our lives and devotions and heart. He is calling us. I'm going to say it again. I hope we're getting this. I want to pound this in as much as the Spirit will let me. That he is worth every bit of our lives and devotions and hearts. He's worth every bit of it. And he's calling us, each of us, every one of us, to see his worth. To see and look at the worth of Jesus, look to him, and in doing so, see our unworthiness. And in doing that, cling to him by denying our own selfish interest, denying them all, and crucifying our own life so that we might cling to and live for him and his calling on your life, which do you know what it is? It's the same as Paul's. You have the same calling. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is your calling if you have so received that grace. It is costly. But it is worth it. We will discuss the worth even more next week. And how we actually do this. I'd like to share a story. Close. I'm going to close with a story story about a, a, a man named Joseph, not this Joseph, don't get nervous, under your heart rate, you're be like, what are you talking about, not that Joseph, different Joseph, this Joseph was a Maasai warrior in eastern Africa, Maasai warriors uh, were, well, Maasai tribe was very cannibalistic, uh, tribal, uh, savage type tribes, And this guy was a warrior, which means he was probably one of the most savage of them all. He would go out to hunt, like lions, leopards, big game, in order to bring food back to the tribe. And one day he was out on a hunt, he was walking a path, and he came across a missionary. And the missionary shared the gospel with him. And in that hearing of the gospel, he believed and he got saved. And what does he do? He runs back to his tribe. He runs back to his tribe because he can't wait to tell them of the grace that he's received and of the cross and of this man named Jesus who died and gave everything up so that they may have life. So he goes back and he goes knocking on all the all the doors and going to all the little huts and he's telling them about the cross. He's telling them about the suffering man that came and suffered for them and it's not landing on them. They're not hearing it. They're rejecting it and they even start to get violent with them and they begin to pile around him. Men, women, children, all of them begin to pile around him and they begin to beat him with uh, fists and clubs and barbed wire, almost leaving him for dead. And they leave him outside the camp. He's no longer a part of their tribe anymore. He's been absolutely and utterly rejected now. And so after he comes to consciousness and some of his wounds heal up a bit, he says to himself, I think I said it wrong. I must have said something wrong because they obviously did not hear what I heard. They did not see what I've seen. They have to know, they have to understand, they have to be saved. I'm going back. So he goes back and he begins to share the gospel again. He begins to share it again. And he's, as he's sharing it, the same thing happens. They begin to come around him and beat him and whip him with barbed wire up until the point of almost death. And they leave him outside of the camp to die. And then again, after his wounds heal a little bit, maybe a few days or weeks, I'm not sure, but his wounds healed a little bit. He could walk again. He gets up and he goes back into that village Christ is all, gospel is all. He goes back into that village and before he can even say a word, they begin to beat him again. Barbed wire, sticks, anything they could get their hands on. But this time, this time, before he loses consciousness, he begins to see that the women who are beating him are now weeping. Something's changed. They are beginning to weep as they beat him. And he loses consciousness. And when he wakes up, he's not alone anymore. He's actually being nursed back to health by the tribe. To which they say to him, you have something so valuable to tell us. You must have something valuable to tell us because no one would do what you've done. No one would come back for beating after beating after beating. What is it that you have to tell us? He shares the gospel with them, and the whole village comes to Christ. That is denying yourself. Taking up your cross and saying, yes, Lord, whatever you wish, I will do it. What does it take to have a mind and heart like Joseph? I want that heart, God. I want that so bad. It takes a view of Christ takes a view of Christ and a view of the gospel that is so central in your life that nothing else could possibly measure up. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you humbled by this text humbled by this text, knowing, Lord, that in many ways we fall short of this kind of self-denial, but also we come to you thankful, Lord, that in many ways you have granted us the self-denial that leads to salvation. You have gifted us with, your, with eyes to see your worth. We ask, God, that you would not leave us where we're at, but that we would grow we would grow in greater and greater and greater and greater understanding of your worth so that we might grow in greater denial of ourselves and be useful for you and your kingdom. Amen.